I'm beginning to think. Yes, I'm beginning to think. Thoughts become me. Welcome to The Cost of Not Paying Attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world class talent. Join her here each week on The Cost of Not Paying Attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. What am I paying attention to today? So I saw an article today in the Harvard Business Review where I've actually recently become a member of their advisory board. That's just unbelievably thrilling to me. And the article was talking about how tension around working from home is escalating, mostly with employers wanting people back in the office and workers wanting to stay home. And while this has been both the dynamic and the tension for some time, according to the article, it's really ramping up and it's seeming like people are becoming more entrenched and having a hard time hearing another perspective which you may think, as did I, as I was reading this article, it feels like this is incredibly endemic in our society today with everything from the political stage to the writer actors striking against the studios and streaming companies and AI on the other side to these challenges that we're having about working from home, returning to the office or a hybrid approach that's seemingly ultimately having to do with our ideas about productivity, which is fascinating because both sides of that argument say productivity is better, with organizational culture and with ideas about the individual versus the collective. I've actually just been approached earlier this week by a large organization in DC that needs some help with this very issue. How do we maintain how do we create and then maintain psychological safety when we're really working on being a hybrid organization and some are still wanting it to be all one way or the other? May you live in interesting times. So, which brings me right to our guests for today. I'm so excited. Um, Chris Petrie is the vice president at Culture Plus and Softway. He's the co-creator and facilitator of Seneca Leaders. He's the co-host of the Love as a Business Strategy podcast and one of the Wall Street Journal best-selling authors of Love as a Business Strategy. He manages the company culture and works to ensure that all projects, interactions, and deliverables reflect the company's human first approach. Jeff Ma is the director of product development and culture uh, at Culture Plus. He's the co-creator of the Seneca suite of products and services. He's the host of the Love as a Business Strategy podcast and one of the other Wall Street Journal best-selling authors of Love as a Business Strategy. I recently had the opportunity to be a guest with Jeff on uh, Love as a Business Strategy podcast. So it's great to see you again, Jeff, and welcome to the show to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just thrilled for this conversation. Jeff and I had a really good time um, when I had an opportunity to be a guest on y'all's podcast, and I'm really excited that you're um, that you're here with me. So. Um, as you can see, I have the book. I have read the book. There's so many like underlinings and um, circles and stars. So I want to start right where the intros left off. Love as a business strategy. I know you guys are serious about this and I'm right there with you, but like seriously, love 
as a business strategy. So talk with me about where, how you landed on this idea and the reception that you've gotten from other business leaders with whom you've had an opportunity to connect about love as a business strategy. Yeah, I, I think I think it's important to first clarify what we mean by what we mean by love. By love. I yeah. think everyone's drawing their own conclusions, and um, <laughs> I'm gonna steal this from Chris because he he says this more often than I do. But I'm gonna go ahead and steal it. But when, when we say love, uh, we don't mean um, that romantic comedy love where you know you you your hot best friend is your soulmate. You don't find out until two hours into the movie. Um, <laughs> We don't, and we don't mean like everyone's holding hands, singing kumbaya, running through the fields, and there's no running water like Little House on the Prairie, right? <laughs> so when, when we say when we say love, we actually it, it we simply boil it down to putting people at the the center of the decisions that we make. Um, and and that may be an oversimplification, but if you kind of draw out what we when we talk about the be when you look into the behaviors that we're talking about what we expect from each other, how we treat each other, how we trust each other and the relationships that we build in order to arrive at this, it really is centered in a place of love. And it's that kind of love that you can understand better if you think of like tough love, if you think of love for someone you truly care about, like when you really love someone, you tell them what you know they need to hear and you and you don't hold anything back, even if it's hard to have that conversation. That's the kind of love we're talking about. And so I wanna start there uh, because I think we intentionally say love to get your attention, but now that you're here, um, we want to boil it down to this is not lovey-dovey, this is not um, huggy-kissy. It is it is <laughs> real human human love for each other. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say to your question about like how do audiences receive this, especially in the executive suite. Um, so as you can imagine, it runs the gamut. But I'll say it's pretty polarized. Um, so you have people who immediately love it and like they want all of it. And mm -hmm. then you have people that are skeptical or resistant. Um, and once they are introduced or have a conversation, they typically see that it's what they naturally believe in or at one point in their lives believed in or were trained in as young kindergartners. <laughs> um, and so they tend to come around once they understand that we're not talking about sort of just being doormats or being walked all over. Um, and then oftentimes you'll notice that many executives, they, they tend to have this jaded view of everyone in the workplace. And so yeah. we often get the, well, what about the bad actors? And I'm like, are you hiring bad actors? Or is all you're <laughs> like, you need to talk about a different conversation if that's, if that's where you go to first when you hear this concept, right? Like yeah. you're hiring that many bad people to where you're worried about who's going to be taking advantage of all the things that you bring to the tape, like, right? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> So I'm going to, I'm going to pick up right there, actually. Mm -hmm. So, because, you know, when I get to talking with organizations about organizational culture and organizational development, invariably part of what comes up is, you know, but what about, what about the problem children? What about the people who are not behaving well? Mm -hmm. And, and so talk to me about how, you know, in, in addition to, I, I love like, what are you doing running around hiring a lot of bad actors? <laughs> but we all have worked with and for some folks who were, you know, kind of being naughty. And so how do you help them understand, A, what the cost is of people being naughty in the workplace, and, and then B, how to help them move through that? Uh, I'll start. And, and, and Chris, I know you have a lot more to add, but I, I want to, before we dive even into that piece, I want to kind of divide it into the people that we have the perception are bad mm -hmm. actors mm -hmm. and the people who really are. So I'm not saying that everyone is, is, is you know, wholeheartedly, you know, perfect and good, at, uh, good-willed all the time. <laughs> but what we have seen consistently is that we as humans are really, really good at filling in the blanks. Yeah. And so what we perceive is rarely the whole story and where it, but somehow it always feels like the whole story. Right. So we will receive bits of information and the places that we don't, we fill them in. And that's often with our own assumptions, our own biases, everybody does it. And so one of the things that we first try to get people to understand is that we're all going to what we call misbehave. Yeah. And 
Sometimes it's intentional, sometimes it's unintentional. But as humans, you just kind of have to accept that first. I think there's this perception that, oh, we want to build a workforce where our high performing teams mean that we never, you know, hurt each other's feelings or get angry at each other, get frustrated at each other. Like we're just, just always, always, yeah. But conflict is healthy, right? Conflict right. is how we, you know, make progress. Um, and so that's why so much of our time is actually spent um, more on finding ways to get people to have that rela the relationships needed to reach not just not misbehaving with each other, but actually forgiveness, which mm -hmm. is a topic that is not really brought up in that way in the workplace enough. Right. Where, But when you think about it, we can talk about all these other things all day. We can talk about psychological safety. We can talk about all these things. But ine inevitably, we're going to fill in some blanks that have people at, at odds with each other. And you're at a crossroads where you can choose to talk about it, open up that conversation, make it awkward, but come to a place where you can understand each other, agree to disagree, but also forgive each other. Or you can smile and nod and stick to the agenda and work together for years and years, slowly building up resentment. Um, and that's, and unfortunately, the latter is a reality of what's going on. So a lot of times when we talk about bad actors, we talk about underperformers, all these things, how well do you know that person? What is this based off of is where I start. Because more often than not, there are pieces to that story that are missing. And we haven't bothered to have the intentional relationship building and connection to uncover where the source of that is first. And so putting that out there first, but we, Chris, please, please add on and also address the actual bad actors. Yeah. And I would just say that in my experience and all of the sort of situations where we've been brought in to work with different companies and different leadership teams, the bad actors typically have no idea that they're known as the bad actors. No one has ever given them feedback. They have no self-awareness. And so because, as Jeff mentioned, people have built these stories, people have also built up the resistance to go and give them said feedback about their behaviors. In corporate America, we love to give feedback about someone's sort of tactical executions and misspellings and wrong colors and logos being in the wrong place, all that stuff. But we rarely will want to prompt feedback around, hey, in that meeting, you said this thing and here's what it made me feel. Mm -hmm. You you asked this question, and I know you might have wanted to get the information, but how you rewarded it made me feel X, Y, and Z. Or I saw the look on this person's face and the team's face when you said X, Y, and Z. I don't know if people received it the way you intended. Mm -hmm. That kind of conversation is rarely happening. And so we have this assumption typically around sort of the bad actors that they know that they are misbehaving, that they know and are intentionally causing these rifts inside of the team or inside of the organization. Mm. And many times, I'll say nine out of 10, they have no idea that people yeah. think that they are horrible to work with. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'll be honest, because Muhammad was the same way. He had no idea because no one went back and told him like, what, what was that? Like, <laughs> so it's very easy um, sometimes to write people off as bad actors rather than actually understand what's driving that behavior um, and giving them the chance to pivot from that behavior. Um, and so we go in and we believe that everybody's capable of change. They have to want it for sure. And we don't want to put an organization or a business case in front of them and say like change so that we can, we can make more money, right? <laughs> it's, it's, it's sometimes like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but you know, people don't want to work with you. <laughs> like, or, you know, hey, I don't know if you know this, but it's really difficult to get you to see different approaches or different perspectives or to work alongside people you disagree with. And I don't think it's because you were intentionally trying to make it harder or you don't want to try new things. There might be other things and we just don't know how to help bridge those gaps or how to bridge you across to a better way of working. And so having those hard conversations sometimes can be tricky. But if you've already written someone off or if you already have prejudged the situation, it's very easy for bad actors to stay bad actors. It's very easy for hurt people to continue hurting people because no one has stopped and said, this is probably not the best way to handle these situations. So in order to say that, uh, that's <laughs> not really, that's not where you want to go, buddy. Yeah. You've got to have a level of trust and a level of communication. Mm -hmm. And so I know that one of the things, hey, Chaz, can you pop up the um, trust and vulnerability? Um, yeah, so this is pulled. And I pulled this intentionally because one of the things that I think is so awesome about what you guys are creating, thanks Chaz, is you have so many resources 
online that you're just giving away to people. And uh, so I pulled this off of loveasabusinessstrategy.com. There are so many resources out there. And I, and I just want to applaud and admire you guys for, for creating this and, and gifting this to us all. In order to, to have those conversations, you've got to have you've got to have trust. You've got to have some level of Amy Edmondson's psychological safety where you know you're not going to get fired for yeah. saying, uh. yeah. so how do you guys begin that process? So I can start and Jeff, you can add on. I think when it comes to trust, it really does start with getting to know people. And I would say in that situation to speak up, it's not just trust with the person at the table or across the table who might be having sort of those behavioral moments that are not good, but it might have to be trust outside of the room to know you're not getting your fire for speaking up to the rainmaker or the highest performer who's not the easiest to work with to say like, we're gonna give you cover to have that conversation. If it doesn't go well, you still have a place here to yeah. be safe, et cetera. And so there might have to be trust in that way too. Um, but I think it starts with the relationship, right? Like, you know, do you know either that person or your team well enough to understand how are they feeling? What are they going through? What What's their background? What's their story? Like, mm -hmm. what do they come to be? What are their ambitions? And I think oftentimes it becomes very difficult for leaders to start with those questions because most leaders are all about productivity and efficiency. Right. Right. We don't need to know that stuff because we are all here to do a job. We are all here to get the work done. We are all adults. We're all making a paycheck. We're all like, right? We find those yep. reasons to justify yep. being transactional. Um, and we have to intentionally stop. And so the resources that we created were sort of shortcuts for leaders who have not been trained in those ways to start relationship first, um, to see how they can easily get there and the results that happen faster and that push you further are oftentimes not realized in so many interactions in the workplace. And so for us, that ability to be like, mm, I don't know, <laughs> right? Like it starts from just like, if they know, if we know each other, right? Yeah. Even if I don't know your intent, but I know you and I know your background, I know your story and I know what you're about or what you're interested in or what your goals and ambitions are. I can use those things to inform how I give you that feedback, right? Mm -hmm. I know you are really about making sure that this project is on time and on budget. I know that that's a big goal for you because on the other side of that could be a promotion or an opportunity. I don't know if you realize that just in that meeting, what you said might actually push the team into a bit of swirl and you might be having your timeline be at risk. Mm. I want to bring that to your attention because I know that's what you, I know this is not what you want, but also what you want is being pushed further away from you. And so, using those things to sort of help them see, I know what I want to do and what I want to achieve, but my behaviors are getting in the way of the team realizing that and supporting me in that outcome. Yeah. Go ahead. The, the only thing I'll add to that is I think an easy way for me to help people understand trust better because trust is just this word that you hear and you're like, I get that. We all understand trust, but I think the type That's of trust <laughs> yeah, the type the type of trust, though, an easy way I've found that people understand is when I explain that there's trust and then there's the trust in others intent and our and our intents are rarely exposed and, and obvious. No mm -hmm. one can read your intentions. And so there's this element of just building on what Chris said is like when you get to know people, you can move closer to a genuine trust and intent. Because if you ask anyone, hey, do you trust your team? They're like, yeah, like I've been working for for years and they'll they, I can count on them. But it's a different question if you stop as an exercise and ask if one of my team members that I, you know, quote unquote trust were to do something egregious you can make up what that is but something yeah. that's clearly just meant to harm you or by your perception meant to harm you is your first step to be like oh my gosh like what kind of evil plot are they scheming or is your first step to be like they must have a good reason for having done that and i want to go understand why right and those two are very different relationships they're not far apart all they take is a little more investment in like each other and who we are it doesn't mean you have to be best friends it doesn't mean you have to like you know, like the work besties, mm -hmm. you just, you just have to know, like, you know, cause the reality is I think statistically somewhere it was shown that almost all of us show up to work with good intentions. Right. So, so literally we, we don't wake up in the morning to come and cause someone else grief. We all try to come in and create the best outcomes for ourselves and for others. 
And if that's that that's true, then that means the majority of these issues are also misunderstandings and and places where we are just not seeing each other's intentions in the same way. And so if we can understand that piece, then we can come to the workplace with a different mindset of really looking around us and really evaluating what trust sits between us and other folks. And I don't just mean, oh, yeah, if I ask them to do something, they'll do it. I mean, if they really trigger me, where where might they be coming from? Am I more curious or am I quick to anger? And those two, that, that difference can tell you where that trust really is. So... Uh you said a word in their mindset and so i want to you know there's a i in in part what you're talking about is a combination of assumption of positive intent and the the mindset that we come to things with and the possibility of being curious even when somebody may have triggered you or hurt your feelings or made you mad or disrespected you or, you know, done one of those things that sends us into an amygdala overdrive and we're just ready to fight, flight and freeze. So um, tell me more about, tell me more about that intersection for you guys. And, and then um, I want to go back to something that Chris had alluded to around introspection. So let's let's start with mindset and assumption of positive intent a little bit more. Um, so I don't have um, it's in the book. We have a framework. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because as we went through this journey of our own, everything for us is based off of our own practical learning. We're not you know, researchers and, and we didn't we're not PhDs in psychology. We're literally just people who've been basically at the bottom, in the trenches. At, at, at the very lowest of lows. And then we learned through a lot of error and things like that. And we just share our stories. So we don't come out claiming to like have all the answers. But what we know is it, what we do know for ourselves, we've put into a framework. And, and I'll just visually describe it a little bit. And you can find this. Um, you can find this in our resources, but also it's in, it's in a page in the book. Um, this is the, the framework that we formed because as you see, we're even talking now, Janine, we're, we're leading you down different paths. Like, oh, you said this, and that reminds me of psychological safety, and that means trust. Right. They're all connected. And right. so as we're trying to, you know, there's not one silver bullet. And so what our framework says is that a culture of love is made up of six pillars. And these six pillars together are actually synergistic, but also necessary for each other. I mentioned forgiveness earlier. That's one of the pillars, mm -hmm. but you can't just address forgiveness alone. You need trust and vulnerability and things like that to bring that to life. But you can't also address vulnerability alone. It does nothing on its own. You need to utilize other things like inclusion, empowerment to reach these kind of goals. So understanding they're all connected, we did bind them all together. Once we understood that all six of these these pillars form a culture of love, we have a foundational section that actually sits below all these pillars, and we call it behaviors to simplify it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's how we actually treat each other. And the behaviors starts with one simple like little box on the diagram is mindsets. It's, it all starts with mindsets. We've heard this, many of us have heard this topic now by now, growth mindsets, fixed mindsets. But... We had to we had to foundationally position it this way because if you come into any of this without first addressing your mindset, the, the battle's already lost. Um, when you're trying to, to work with folks around a culture of love or even any one of these topics, if we're just talking about building trust, like just now I said, hey, think about your coworkers as you know, good intended, good intentioned folks, right? I mean that inherently requires a growth mindset coming to the table and too too often people try to jump ahead to tactics people try to jump ahead to tool and process changes and there's all these other things and trainings that we can do and if we skip the step of really having people introspect really having people understand where they're coming from and why they kind of have a block when it comes to thinking these ways then you can sit through hours and hours of this kind of conversation. And if anyone's listening right now, you're like this is not landing for you if you're, you're having a fixed mindset because you see the world one way. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't fit that, it doesn't make sense, then you automatically emotionally and intellectually reject it. And so 
you know, I, I say that because I think the framework is something we're very proud of, but also something that's that's very held true time and time again. If mm -hmm. you start from anywhere in the middle, you can have some success, but the real success comes from starting from what we say mindsets, which affects your attitudes and how you communicate, which is ultimately your behaviors is how you show up to others. And only then when you're focusing on those things for yourself, can you come to the table with real actions around building trust around building uh, inclusion and empathy for people right so i want to i want to go from that then directly to the challenges sometimes with working with organizations and individuals who who haven't yet had an opportunity to delve into this thing called introspection and you know in the in the world of of business we often reflect, but we don't often introspect. Mm -hmm. And those are very different things. So when you're finding you've got um, leaders that you're working with, um, often especially, but sometimes, many times, also, you know, folks inside the organization, they don't, they don't have this tool in their toolbox. So how do you help people begin to develop that muscle? around uh, introspection. I guess I can start and Jeff, you can add to, um, I'll say the one of the first things that we have to do, and I think it's important for people to understand, like when you don't see leaders who have introspection, typically what you'll find are victims in every situation. Um, yeah. So either someone else didn't do it right, someone else made them late someone else caused them to miss a deadline someone else it's always someone else who did something that they had no control of and that they are sort of at the the, the last end of it at the mercy so, of yeah it's like so all of these happen so yeah. if you hear a lot of the the deflection and the blaming that's typically a sign that there's a lack of introspection mm -hmm. and so when we are working with customers that are starting on this journey and oftentimes you will hear and just about every situation, every pre-interview, like, oh my gosh, like we're good over here. It's that other. <laughs> yeah. It's those folks, them. Yeah. That's if the problem. Everybody else changes. I'll be fine. Right? That's right. <laughs> you know, that's, that's plastic telltale sign, lack of introspection. And so when we do our, um, typically one of the first things that we do is an event called Seneca Leaders. And that's just a one day offsite reset for leaders uh, or people managers inside of an organization to spend the day focused on themselves. And the first topic we get into is introspection and helping them understand what it looks like, what it means, what are the things that you have to do in order to get there. So we really like to give people that foundation and we remind them of that throughout the day. So as they hear our stories or the stories of their peers in the room, they're not sitting in a seat of judgment. I don't do that. Well, I'm better than that. I never did that. Oh, I'm good, <laughs> right? <laughs> and instead you're putting yourself in those stories and saying, wait, have I ever made somebody feel that way? Even if I didn't do it that way, has someone yeah. ever left me feeling that same way? Or have I ever contributed to something that created confusion or chaos or was unfair? Or asked someone to do something that I would have never done myself, right? When you start and asking, the answer you're coming up with is no. <laughs> you get a gold star. You have an opportunity to turn this around. And so it's really about helping um, helping leaders realize that it's very easy to sit in the seat of judgment. It's very easy to sort of be the hero in every story that you find yourself in. Um, funny aside, but like whenever I talk to like people who are in religion, I'm like, do you ever? see your you see yourself as a persecuted or the persecutor <laughs> right because if you're looking at that and you only see yourself in the lies of the persecuted and you are sitting in a seat of authority or power in your organization i'm always curious to know like where do you see yourself in these stories and then yeah. the texts and scriptures that you're reading anyway that's just an aside but yeah i love that question it's, though <laughs> it's very easy for leaders especially who have been successful who have been told typically their entire careers that they got something special. They are winning out over others. They are capable of doing so much. They have so much potential, right? They've gotten all the awards that they've ever gone up for, right? To have these people stop and say, wait, maybe I'm not as great is usually hard to do solo, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so our session, we really try and sort of help sort of take them a little bit off of that pedestal 
and sort of sit and say like as humans it's okay to be imperfect but also if you are a Tyra Banks fan, perfect is boring, right? Like if you watch <laughs> American Next Time Model, perfect is boring. Who wants to be around a perfect person, right? Um, and so thinking about it from that perspective and saying like your teams will resonate with you if they see you as someone that they can approach. If they see you as someone who has thoughts, feelings, highs, lows, you know, um, faults, all of those things, mistakes, failures, right? And sometimes the most connecting stories or resonant stories are those of failure and those of missing the mark and those of having to sort of learn the hard lessons over just pure success where things come easy or feel like they come easy to you. And so when it comes to introspection, we really try and help organizations first understand the value of it. What does it look like? And what does it not look like as well as you're starting this journey <laughs> um, to make sure that it's approachable, it's attainable, but it's something that as you are starting your own personal journey you understand that if you start with introspection, typically you'll find a different path in every situation. Yep. I love and, that. And, and I think just to help people highlight, because I think a lot of times we talk about introspection and people just like imagine meditating in a room for no, no, with no end. <laughs> and, the and, and the reality is that'd be great. But um, <laughs> in, in the, in the workplace, That's not what we're talking about here. Yeah, in the workplace, it's it's key to understand that why why would we bother with introspection? The reality is, is because there's so much power in self-awareness. Yeah. And I think that you can almost draw like a linear correlation to lack of self-awareness to bad leadership and just a lot of a lot of situations and poor culture and, and all these things because it's 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 the power of self-awareness that really brings us out of whatever funk we're in. We're not going to be perfect, but the worst is when we're not and we don't know it and we don't see it and we don't bother to want to know it. And so the reality about self-awareness though, is that we're, we can be a leader that's like, Hey, I'm, I welcome feedback. My door's open. Give it to me. I can take it. And people may even take you up on it, but the equation for self-awareness is what you think of yourself and what you and what sorry what you think others think of you versus what they actually think of you yeah. um, right and so when you're getting all this feedback you're getting what they're actually thinking of you but if you're not doing introspection you're not really going to be able to use that data point properly to gain self-awareness and so integrate those two things yeah. and what ends up happening is people give you feedback and you hear it with that fixed mindset you hear it with that one perspective that's not truly combining it with work on yourself and what you give back is basically you know gaslighting and basically <laughs> like like basically dismissing minimizing yeah just minimizing and guess what slowly you realize that your open door is open but nobody's walking through it and nobody wants to give you that feedback because they know it's not going to do anything and you're sitting here still thinking you are the the best manager in the world the best leader in the world um, and, and nobody's telling you otherwise. Yeah. And so you, it's a spiral that we see all too often of a lack of self-awareness. And it's, it's really, to me, part of the, the biggest, like it's really core to the issue of what we talk about. We don't, we don't like blast it up front, but if I were to summarize, really, if I could just wave a magic wand and fix one thing, it'd be people's desire and actual real, real desire to want true self-awareness. Because if we desire it, it'll, if we truly want it, it'll show up in how we act. When things happen, we will stop and go, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I'm like, just that one moment is so powerful because you can just say, you know what, like there are, what could I have done? There's a lot of things I could have done actually. Or when your team fails, I'm the leader that reflects me. Mm -hmm. What, what, what role did I play in this failure? And it changes everything and everything comes so much easier. And so can't say enough about introspection along with self-awareness when it comes to these things. And then I want to connect this to this idea around vulnerability. So obviously as a society, we have it that vulnerability equals weak, equals bad, equals not, not, not something we should be talking about in the workplace and certainly something never that a leader should be. A leader should never show vulnerability is this myth that we have and that uh, I am about, and I know you guys are about destroying. And so, and this, this idea is deeply embedded in 
our 20th century as opposed to 21st century ideas about what it means to be a leader. And so when you're working with some folks who may be a little less self-aware and who have this idea vulnerability equals weakness, how can, and, and if you're out there listening right now and like, I wonder if that's me. Um, you know, how can we start thinking about that? And, you know, I, I often talk about, I've had the opportunity to do a little bit of work with the U.S. Navy. And one of the things that these guys and gals will say all the time is that they've got to be vulnerable with each other and vulnerability takes strength. They've got to be able to tell the truth about what's happening. And that takes strength. And so we, we have an opportunity to completely redefine this word, but it's so um, connected with our mythology around what leaders are. How do you help people start to break that down for themselves? I, I think vulnerability today is understood better than it ever has been for, before which yep. is a good thing but at the same time when you start understanding concepts better it's also misunderstood more and mis <laughs> mis misused more it's like organizational culture yeah. talked about so much and completely misunderstood <laughs> yeah so the thing i'll open with is really when it comes to vulnerability i think it it's, it's starting to get this rap of just kind of sharing your deepest darkest secrets Right. and kind of just just kind of flooding the room with TMI. E emotion and tmi and for some people they're like i'm gonna be so vulnerable like they'll just like look at me i'm just pouring myself out there and people are like whoa like like we don't need all that <laughs> yeah I um, just yesterday, like, do not bring that whole self to yeah, work yeah and and to be honest there there is vulnerability in that right i'm not saying right. it's not and, and 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 there's certain contexts and relationships where that is the essence of some vulnerability but I think it's easier to understand vulnerability just as owning up to mistakes, failures, and weaknesses. And when you put it that way, you're like, oh, well, that's easy then. Um, oh, but, but Jeff, that's so hard for us to <laughs> We never yeah. want to say we're wrong. But, but the reality is in practice, like we can all say to ourselves and in private, sure, I made a mistake, big deal. But I'm talking about in, in a context when people are affected by it when people are maybe even hurt by it people are really emotional like they you made a decision that people worked weekends and lost you know family time and all sorts of had impacts to their finances all these things are you able in that moment to not just say all right guys i'm the leader so it's on me you know whatever but i'm talking about really saying i did this and it affected you all and i see that 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 decision was hurtful. It was bad. I could have done better. I should have done better. I, I owe you more than that. These types of things where you really honestly come to a space and are able to um, own, and I say own, not just fess up, but like own a mistake. Own. Yeah. That to me is the core essence of true vulnerability. And that's the difference is like, as we understand vulnerability better, you know, leaders just being coached to just like, give what i call like fake vulnerability you know like you're literally you're literally coming in and just like like floodlighting people with just like emotion and like sometimes it's used to weaponize to like get people to just have sympathy for you it's like yeah. i messed up and my life is so hard right now my, my you know my dog is dead and all those things like okay like that you know it works because people will then be like oh I'm so back off, right. didn't know you were doing all that but you're not gaining any ground on, yeah you're not yeah. gaining moving the needle at all on your actual relationships and culture but when you can come and truly show a moment of of understanding and almost a moment of commitment to being different or better um you know that oh. uh. well chris take it away Go ahead, Chris. Am I still here? Please yeah, go. you're still there. You're back. You're back now. Um, so I think the other part of this equation is really about um, you have organizations that are starting to introduce vulnerability into their walls, into their leadership. There's being vulnerable and there's receiving vulnerability. 
what we've seen a lot of leadership teams um, go through that are sort of newer on this train is they they don't know how to receive it when people yeah. start bringing it out. And so there is that sensitivity to like, now we had this one organization where <clears throat> one of the senior leaders came to the team, the, the small core team, and basically was like, I'm going to need some grace for you guys because I'm going through a separation with my husband and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of things, but I'm not bringing this umbrella. And what do you think the reaction was? Just guess. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no. The other no. way. No. Oh, sorry to hear that. Let's get back to the agenda. We need to uh. keep, <laughs> right. And you, we, we might cringe at that, but that's sometimes that's the, that when you're not used to receiving someone who's putting themselves out there inside of a team that historically is not known for that. Yeah. You see the, like the discomfort immediately. And then the, uh, the desire to want to quickly move away from the discomfort. And so we want to put the meeting back on track. We want to minimize that sort of the difference in the room. We want to sort of get people back to comfort as quick as possible. And so we end up dismissing those moments and we want to sort of uh, keep the peace or keep the, the calm or keep the mood light and stay positive, toxically so, right? Yeah. And so um, it's also about training leaders to understand like you need to learn how to receive it, right? Like being human is not just always giving it. That's important. <laughs> but when someone gives it to you, I hope that you can sort of, that's your empathy muscle kicks in and your ability to listen and your ability to stop and pause and sort of sort of mute that sense of urgency that typically leaders lead with. Right. <laughs> and stop and give people a space Old to space, be who right. they need to be and share what they need to share and let the room sort of do what it needs to do to make sure that person feels seen, heard, understood, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. And so um, that equation is important to understand like being vulnerable is critical, but receiving it is just as critical too. Otherwise you get, you sort of have these like um, misses when it comes to people wanting to do it again, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> right, or being completely unwilling to do it again. Yes. So then I wanna, I wanna wrap this back up um, cause I'm noticing we're about 45 minutes into a 30 minute show. Oh. So <laughs> sorry, sorry, yeah. don't we no, each, no. don't we each get 30 minutes? Too yeah, many. exactly. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts people. Um, so I want to bring back this idea that, that Jeff was planting earlier around forgiveness. So because, you know, often when people are being vulnerable, it isn't just necessarily about I'm going through a hard thing, splitting up with my partner or my folks are dying or, you know, what, whatever's happening in my personal life. Often it is, you know, you, you hurt me or that thing you did that disrespected me. And, and so then our opportunity is to honestly and truly forgive them. So, you know, and I mean, as, as humans looking back on our relationships, we know those places where trust has been broken and rebuilt are actually now the strongest places in our relationship because we talked it through and, and we, we made that new commitment to each other. I did this thing and it created this in you and I am I own that and I am sorry for that. And here's what I can commit to now. We have such a hard time with, with that, with owning our shit and with <laughs> then like really saying, I'm, I am sorry for the impact it had, we want to stay in. No, but that's not what I meant. Well, I don't give a shit what you meant. You hurt me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being able to, as you said, Chris, you know, exercise that empathy muscle and get what it is over there for them so that then you can honestly, authentically apologize and own it and make a new commitment going forward. How do you, how do you help, you know, <laughs> my husband, for instance, grew up in a family in which that ain't never happening ever. <laughs> and so like, it, it's hard for him. He's still really working on developing this muscle. How do we help people 
um, get, you know, get better at, at lifting that weight. Because yeah. it's so counterintuitive. It's, it's counterhuman instinct. It's counterhuman instinct. It's all human spirit. It's <laughs> counterhuman instinct. I'll just say that forgiveness is my favorite pillar out of the six. Mm. And, and I think it's the most unique one. And it made it made it into this core grouping because as we work through all the things and try to uncover like what the keys to our comeback and success have been, we realized we quickly realized that that unforgiveness is a huge root cause of so many things that if you really to trace really some of the issues back, you'd find that, you know, if we're being honest, we're making decisions with people in mind and that impact others and these little factors although they're not overtly coming out they're based on how we feel about a person you know I'll, I'll i'll sign someone to a project that i like and i someone who's kind of upset me before and i don't see this as unforgiveness but it is and these these little micro unforgivenesses build up into large unforgivenesses i've seen organizations where two high high seated leaders have just well-known dislike each other for 30 years. Like they've been working there for like 30 years. There's two warring factions in this organization. I'm like, can you imagine how well this business could be doing if over the last 30 years, these two hemispheres have been cooperating instead of right. completely isolating each other? All the energy that's getting poured into that yeah. animosity. But the, reason, but the reason I love forgiveness as a pillar the most is also because it's the least honestly, the least complicated out of all of them. I can talk to you for hours and hours on every single other one of these things. Trust is super complex. And there's other little, little versions of it. But but forgiveness is one of those that's like, when when people feel like they understand what forgiveness is, yeah, you, you pretty much do understand what forgiveness is. It's exactly what you think it is. And so when people ask, well, how do I get it then? The interesting thing is, um, this is the one that I lean on all five of the other pillars to accomplish, which is what makes it the hardest to do. Because you cannot, you can rarely tackle forgiveness head on. It's the one pillar that you got to start somewhere else. Um, if there's no trust, there's no relationship. If you've not had empathy, there's no inclusion in it. You know, if there's if there's no vulnerability for sure, um, forgiveness is a hard ask. And if anything, it's just fake and it's uh, one sided or, or any of those things. And so. A lot of times I don't have a lot to add for people to, for, for forgiveness because I'm like, look, the reality is you just got to forgive. You got to choose. You got to you got to seek forgiveness and you got to forgive others. And it's like they're like, oh, well, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a like a holy, you know, monk or anything. I can't just like channel that. I'm like, you're absolutely right. As humans, this is one of the hardest things to do. Um, but there's not one way to do it. The reality is that it relies on your relationship, relies on the intensity of the conflict. It relies on who's willing to come to where. And it's just like just like high school drama. You got to find a way to meet by the lockers, hash it out. You got to care about something more than the fight. You got to want something bigger than the conflict. And and you got to find a common ground. And you got all these are tactics. But at the end of the day, you got to just find a way to truly find that closure because it is a silent killer of actual business outcomes yeah. every single day. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, you know, practically speaking, when it comes to forgiveness, one of the best ways to experience it is if, I don't know if you've ever been on the receiving end of, a, of an apology that you didn't expect, mm. where someone felt that they'd done something to you that harmed you or hurt you or set you back in some way. And you never put those two things together and they just still come out and apologize for it. Chances are you will not see that person the same way ever again, right. whether you had anything against them or not. Right. And I think that sometimes as leaders, you have to start an apology tour, so to speak, um, <laughs> and start recognizing when you have put people back or given people the wrong instruction. And it's one thing to admit that you made a mistake. It's another thing to apologize for it. Right. Yeah. And when you actually make those words and form those words and, you know, say like, hey, I just want to apologize to you because I gave you that instruction last week and I didn't give you the complete information for it. And I know it's to probably sent you on a tizzy, right? Like just being on on that side of the equation, the other side of that equation, chances are I'm going to give you more grace the next time. Or if I see something wrong, I'm going to be more apt to come and tell you or yeah. bring it forward, right? And then if there is another sort of situation, I'm more likely to forgive you again, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. 
And so you can start these sort of forgiveness trains just by leading with an apology and recognizing it and not waiting for it to get to a place where it's a schism or this big sort of hemisphere situation where you have, you know, um, sort of Team Edward and Team Jacob like fighting each other, you know, <laughs> Bella, right? Like it's not, it doesn't have to get to that state. Yeah. Um, but I think that sometimes like just as a leader, taking it upon yourself to go and do that, but then it creates this other chain reaction where they start doing it to others, right? Because once right. you received it, it's really easy to go and apologize now. Because like, oh, that was really easy, and I made me feel good. I can, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. Um, and so it's just instead of because sometimes forgiveness can feel very sort of super religious and yeah. like, oh my gosh, it's so unattainable and heavy. Yeah, Mother is over here. Like, yeah. I cannot ever be on that level. Gandhi and Mother Teresa, like, you want me to be like saint? Like, <laughs> my name is not going to be in any holy book. <laughs> That's not who I am, or will I get right? But when you sort of give it, give people those sort of like just early on when you make a mistake, just go and apologize to the person. Or, you know, if you think you, if you think you did something wrong, just go ahead and apologize. Go own it and apologize yeah. for it. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it could be a five minute thing versus a two hour thing or a 10 month right. thing, right? Like it could just right. be like two minutes. Like, and how so, much energy are we gonna save by yeah. just cleaning it up in the moment? Exactly. exactly. All right, I could talk to you guys all day. This has been awesome <laughs> and fun and delightful. And I don't wanna create the world's first 24 hour podcast. So. <laughs> I'm going to wrap it up here. Chris, Jeff, thank you so much. Thank you for your wisdom and your insights and your experience. I'm uh, truly blessed to be here with you both today. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Awesome. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been the cost of not paying attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.